Hi, welcome to the Axe Church UK weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired and blessed by today's message. Enjoy. Now, why the Bible? Why are we starting with the Bible? Uh, because everything we believe in as Christians, whether it's phrases like this that you heard before, called the Holy Spirit, called Jesus, called the crucifixion, called Heavenly Father, the Lord's Prayer, the Old Testament, New Testament, revival, revelation, you know, vision, prophecy, all these christian words um, all originate from the Bible. The Ten Commandments from the Bible, you know, uh, not the movies, uh, but it is inspired from the Bible. Uh, and uh, of course, I know in the West End now, they have uh, Joseph, Prince of Dreams and, and, and Prince of Egypt, etc. And uh, those are just inspired from the Bible. But why we start with the Bible is because of that. Everything we talk about, everything we know about Christianity comes from here. And so, for me, when a person comes and says that, I, I don't believe that, that God can create the world in six days and chill out and rest on the seventh day. And I say that I can because I, I, I believe. Uh, now, but if somebody says that, yeah, but uh, and how can it be true? Is it because the Bible says so? Uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, do you know? Because I believe that my God is supernatural and He can do all things in just a blink of an eye. If it takes millions of years to create something, then He's not God. That's called the natural flow of time. Uh, and, and that's why for me, there is no contradiction when people as scientists say that, well, science says that the world is billions of years old. And I'll be like, yeah, sure. You know, the Bible says in the beginning there was nothing, but the earth was there, but without form. So there was the earth there as a planetoid, but there was no form and no life. So if you dig into the earth, it could be billions of years old, but life hasn't been around for that long. And people can go like, what, what, what? Yeah, it's all in the Bible. Go back and read it. Uh, but if somebody says that, but the Bible cannot be trusted, and if the holes are poked onto the, uh, uh, the accuracy of the Bible, then I have no in the beginning to even lean my trust on. Does that make sense? And so today's lesson is to help us to, once and for all, overcome that obstacle and that question of whether the Bible can truly be trusted. Because if it can be trusted, then I can trust its claims of miracles. I can trust its claims of the supernatural. And, and, and why not the supernatural? We serve a God who is supernatural. If He's not supernatural, He's not God. If He's God, He must be supernatural. You know, all these claims about Jesus, His teachings, His resurrection, His death, all these things, because the Bible told me so. And so today, I hope to bring us through a simple understanding. And like I said, I'm not a pro at this, but this is to help you uh, overcome maybe some hiccups. And if you have questions, we'd love to come and have a dialogue about it. And you can come back again, we can ask questions. And maybe in the future sessions, we might even open up the floor for 15 minutes of questions so that you know that we mean what we say. And uh, so today, I want to bring us to the Bible, specifically three things. If you're taking down notes or interested to take notes or you just want to remember, three things I want to bring us through today. The Bible can be trusted because of its history, because of its honesty, and because of its humanity. So I'm going to talk about the history of the Bible, and then I'm going to talk about the honesty of the Bible and why honesty matters. And I'm going to talk about humanity and how that last aspect sets the Bible apart from every other holy book and every other faith out there. In fact, both the second and last uh, really nails that point down. But we're going to start with the history of the Bible. Now, first of all, the Bible's been around for a long time. Uh, it's older than me. And questions of whether the Bible can be trusted 
is also older than me. And so the first point is easy because I just needed to go through some reference books to find proof. Uh, we are also not the first group of people to question if the Bible can be trusted. And if the Bible cannot be trusted, we would have known by now. And so the fact that it can be trusted, and the question is, can we trust its claims? Now, it's sep two separate things. The Bible is real and accurate. Now, the other faith part is, but can I really trust what it says about God and Jesus. So one is an issue of fact and one is an issue on faith. We're going to touch on some facts here for a while. So with the help of Toby, we're going to pull out a table uh, and uh, you're going to have some uh, interesting things here. I'm going to bring us through, okay? Now, a lot of people say that, can the Bible be trusted? It's so old. It's written, you know, thousands of years ago, etc., etc., etc. Now, here's some trivia for you. The Bible, as Christians believe it, is not one book. It is, think of this as a mini library. This is a composition of 66 books. All right? 66 books, 39 of them representing the Old Testament before Jesus, and 27 of them representing the New Testament, which is when the arrival of Jesus till after Jesus ascended. And so, it is a compilation of books. If you're thinking of Reading the Bible for the first time, I discourage you from starting in Genesis, even though it's very interesting and very exciting. I actually encourage you to start in the New Testament, in the Gospels, because you really want to know about Jesus, the God who came in person. But don't worry, we'll be covering that in two weeks' time. And so, uh, right here, I want to bring us through that, you know, the Bible is a, a compilation of 66 books. It is written over a span of, you know, the books were written over a span of 1,500 years. It has more than over 40 authors and it is written across three continents. And today, as of current, it is translated to 532 languages, uh, but there are more. Now, let's go through some things. Before I go through the Bible, let's talk about ancient texts. A lot of things that we take for granted today uh, come from history. Now, the question is, can history be trusted? I know that's deep. Uh, history, why can history be trusted? Just because one person wrote it, right? Can you trust just because one person wrote it? Uh, we can't. And we, we question the, the validity of one person because for practical reasons that one person uh, could be lying, that one person could be bluffing, that one person could be exaggerating. And yet, the world we live in today, we have no problems, um, you know, with the book Iliad, which is written by Homer. Not Simpson, but the philosopher. Now, the book Iliad is basically, um, it, it's, it's a fantasy epic. Maybe it is semi-fictional, but have you watched the movie Troy? It's from the Iliad. Have you heard this character called Achilles or Achilles? And you heard about Achilles and Achilles' heel? And how when he was born, his mother took him and, and dipped him into the river sticks, all except the heel. And that's why he is invulnerable for every part of his body except the heel. Right? We trust that. We watch movies about it. You trust at least that it is a legit fantasy epic Troy going to war for Helen of Troy, etc. Nations going to war for the love of one woman, yada, yada, yada. Homer also wrote this other epic called the Odyssey. And that's why we get cyclopses and, and sirens and medusas and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, just to give you, you know, right? So these are things that we, we accept as our daily lexicon. These are things that people go to university for. 
you know, I'm going there to study about ancient Greek philosophy and ancient Greek literature. And, and, and people can walk around and you can go like, wow, that's fascinating. Whether they can get a job is a second issue, but you, 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 le- you legitimize that that's a legitimate degree. And yet when we walk around going that, oh, I go to Bible seminary, you look at him like he's some sort of weirdo. Why? I think it's because of a lot of human prejudice and misinformation. We tend to think that one science is particularly higher than the other. I'm here to show you that that's not necessarily true. So here we go. Homer wrote the book Iliad, roughly date written 800 BC, 800 years before Christ. The earliest copies that we still have today are the copies of 400 BC. That means the original is gone. The first one written by Homer, if he wrote it, is gone. Nobody has that. The closest thing we have is a 400 BC copy. You know how some books we have? You know, like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. I know Sam is a big fan of Lord of the Rings and and, and he, would, he would love to have like, uh, you know, first, uh, what do you call it? First print or second print, right? First print is almost like, that's, that's gold, right? We can never afford it. But if somebody can give you for second print, you'll be like, oh, it smells of token, <laughs> right? But this one is not, I don't know, four, if, if it's, it's 400 years of being in copies and print. Uh, that's not... A fresh version, that's a common version. And yet today we believe in it, even though the earliest version we have is 400 years, and there's a 400-year time gap between the earliest copy and the original copy, and there are 643 copies of it. Maybe because, do you know why there's so many copies of it? Because it's easy to copy. The Iliad is a poem. And a lot of things we believe in it was extradited out from a line. Okay, then I might go back and do your own research. All right. Now, let's go on to uh, Herodotus, okay? Um, let me just turn my notes. I've been a busy boy in Malaysia. And uh, so, okay, um, Herodotus and the person after him that I am not qualified to pronounce the name, they write books on history, specifically Greek history. Everything we know about ancient Greek history came from the writings of these two men. And the original ones, they started writing around 480 to 425 BC to 460 to 400 BC. And the earliest copy we have is in AD 900. Which means that the time gap between the OG and the copy is 1,300 years at least. And yet, Someone can say, I'm, I, I major in Greek history. And how many copies? Eight. That's why only major museums have them. And they're kept behind glasses because the climate that we live in today would destroy it. And yet with eight copies and more than a thousand years apart, they, back then there was no print. This is not a photocopy. This is not a scan. This is somebody writing or somebody chipping away on a tablet. Do you know that humans make mistakes? And yet, we don't question it even though there's eight copies around. And people go to universities, you can go to Cambridge and get a Greek, you know, uh, a history. Uh, and and we, we, we have movies about them. And, and, you, and, and a famous, do you know a famous a Greek conqueror? Have you heard of Alexander the Great? Right? Not that great, some of you are like, don't know. <laughs> Everything we know about him comes from here. So people can write movies and every now and then you have, you know, people on Instagram or Facebook supposedly sharing a quote from Alexander the Great. Conquer first, ask questions later. Or something random like that. I, I just made that up. 
And we don't quite know, isn't it? Many times we see quotes like that and we go like, oh, sounds awfully contemporary. <laughs> it sounds awfully you know, relevant to modern days. But how do we know he actually said that? Nobody really knows. You know why? Because there's only eight copies. And maybe if he said that, nobody can really prove it because there's over 1,000 years. And so uh, there is more discrepancy, right? Plato, you know Plato, the great philosopher, right? Um, the, the very idea of Platonic came from him because he's someone who's a, he, he, he's known as the father of Western philosophy. Any ma- philosophy majors here? No? Okay. Uh, but Plato's the uh, uh, um, philosophy major, well, he wasn't a philosophy major, but every <laughs> philosophy major would know Plato because he's the father of Western philosophy, uh, Platonic, and basically the ability to separate reason uh, and emotion, you know, philosophy and all that. That's why we use modern-day words like platonic love or platonic relationship. No, sorry, there's no platonic love. Yeah, there is. It means love that that's not necessarily emotional. But that's not my area of specialty. Let's not go there. But Plato, right? All his stuff, when did he commit to writing? 400 BC, the earliest copy, AD 900. And the time gap is 1,300 years. And how many copies? Seven. Seven. Do you believe Julius Caesar to be a real person? He was a Roman general that became a Roman emperor. And so uh, the Gaelic Wars basically chronicalized his battles uh, in, in France. Uh, uh, France was called the Gaelic region, and before they were modern baguette eating uh, uh, artists, um, they were tribes and they were considered to the Romans to be barbarians. And so uh, one of Julius Caesar's greatest conquest was to, to defeat them. And, and he did defeat them. And, and that's why at one time the Roman Empire stretched from Rome, modern-day Italy, all the way to London. Do you know London's ancient Roman name? Londonium. Anyway, another topic for another day. Um, so the Gaelic Wars. When was it written? It was written 100... It was compiled because it was a long war. 100 to 44 B.C. When is the earliest copy? AD 900. Time gap 1000. Copies 10. And yet nobody questions about the greatness of Julius Caesar and the Gaelic Wars. Okay? Tacitus. Okay? He wrote the book called, I won't pronounce it because it might be mispronounced. <laughs> but it's actually about history. Get your mind out of the gutter. Roman history. Roman history. So everything you know about the Roman history, which emperor succeeded who? When was what built? Things like the aqueducts and stuff like that, Colosseum, Gladiator, the span of the empire, the fall of the empire, all these things were written and written down by Tacitus. And the date written was AD 100, right? The earliest copy we have is in AD 1100. And the time gap is a thousand years, numbers of copies 20. Now, the reason why a number of copies could be for two reasons. One, there's a lot of things to copy, so there's little copies made. Secondly, very few copies survive. Uh, because back then, when people were, were writing, they weren't thinking that this was to be, you know, survived to thousand years old. So some of the materials, you know, uh, like the, the Bible that uh, I have, uh, you know, th- even the material on the outside, not the inside, but the outside is, is, is pseudo-leather, but even then it's breaking apart. Uh, but inside is fine because it's paper, that's a modern invention. Uh, but, you know, back then people wrote on leather. People wrote on papyrus. Uh, all these kind of good stuff, uh, but it didn't last good. And so that's why sometimes uh, it, you, the, the copies don't survive. Now, let's talk about the New Testament. 
Now, the Old Testament is a very interesting thing because we, nobody has to worry about the Old Testament. Uh, all the architects and, uh, oh, sorry, archaeologists uh, would say that the Old Testament is legit because it's used as a reference and a map for a lot of archaeological digs. And uh, it is compiled, locked down tight uh, because the Jewish people of, um, take oral history and writing down very seriously. That's why if you read the New Testament, uh, Jesus many times got into trouble with these people called the scribes and the Pharisees. A scribe is a person whose job was to write. And back then, not everyone knew how to write. So to be able to write, you, you're like, you know, at a time, like a lawyer, like a professional. And so they lock it down tight. But let's talk about the New Testament, all right? Uh, because at the end of the day, Christianity, if we just look at the Old Testament, it's religion. But New Testament, it becomes real life uh, because of Jesus. And again, we'll go into it in the week where we touch about Jesus. And, and the whole weeks, uh, and the weeks coming up, it's actually all intertwined and we will build on what we learn and overlap. So next week, we'll be talking about who is God the Father and there will be also be an unearthing on purpose about does life have meaning? Yes, it is. And we're going to discover that through God's fatherly nature. And then we're going to learn about the person of Jesus Christ. And of course, last but not least, we'll learn about the power of the Holy Spirit uh, that helps us to live out that new life. And so uh, let's talk about, so yeah, test yeah, Roman history, you know. Uh, New Testament, when was it written? AD 50 to 100. Now, is that accurate? Yeah, because Jesus' ministry. So, so AD marks the coming of Christ. So Jesus lived until at least AD 33. Then he ascended, he died, resurrected, and then ascended in AD 33. So the earliest copies of the New Testament uh, the people started committing down to writing in AD 50 to AD 100. Now, AD 50 is not too bad because you can still ask a lot of eyewitnesses. It's only just 20 years after Jesus had passed. And the reason why it took some time is because of a certain way of thinking. When Jesus said that, I'm going to come back soon, a lot of his disciples took that word very literally, that he's going to come back like possibly in three years' time. And so, at the time, the focus wasn't to write down. The focus was just to preach and to teach. And so, the gospel and the message of Christ went far and wide. It is only after some decades that they figured that, you know what, maybe He will come back, but it's going to be beyond our lifetime. So, let's write down some of these things so that the generations coming will not miss out because the apostles and all that, they were still alive and they were first-hand eyewitnesses of everything that Jesus taught. And so, these are the breakdown of the copies that we have. We have 100 and 14 fragments, uh, and these are around 50 years, give or take, all right? So you do the math. So we have 114 fragments that date back to 150 AD, plus 50 years after the original. Uh, we have 200 complete books of the New Testament, uh, like Mark is a complete book, Luke is a complete book, Matthew is a complete book. So fragments will be part of a book, yeah? We understand. So we have 200, all right? Complete books, all right? So, oh, oh sorry, uh, I think I'm getting the number wrongish. Uh, I think what it means is that it is around 114 AD that we had the fragments or maybe, okay, never mind. Um, but, oh, no, no, no. Sorry, I got the dates wrong. So, I'm, I'm correct. 100, 114 fragments dating plus 50 years. 200 books dating plus 100 years. Uh, 250 books of most of the New Testament. Like I said, uh, how, how many copies of, how many books in the New Testament are there? They are 27. Very good. You're taking our notes. Uh, and uh, so, you know, almost 250 copies of like the full 27 books and 325 copies of the full 27 books. And they are give or take 225 years. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's still a lot of years. 
Yeah, but look up the list. And yet we have no problems trusting stuff that is 400 years, 1,000 years. So why should we question uh, with such hostility something that is extra by 50 years? And on, if that is not enough, look at the number of copies. There's actually 500, sorry, 5,366 copies. Sorry, jet lag. 5,366 copies um, of the various books all added up together. Okay? Um, so these are just some of that because some of it, you might be thinking, wait a second, the math doesn't quite add up. If I add up all the copies, it's still not 5,000 because some of are lesser than fragments. Uh, some are just one page here and there. Some are just one page of letter. Uh, because again, back then, how they operated in the New Testament was that people would write them down. And uh, in the New Testament, you'll see things called letters. These are not even books, but they're letters. And back then, people would, a letter would come. It would be from Paul writing from the prison and going like, okay, this will be read to church. So that was like modern day video message and all that. Uh, so that a chief elder or a, a, a leader would stand and read the letter. And sometimes people ask, who wants copies of this so that it can be sent and read to the different small groups? Because back then, churches didn't just meet publicly. They also met in what in today, we call cell groups or homes, and that was an a, a activity or a habit that was since back then. Okay, cool? Um, so, yeah, so this is just to tell us that, look, based on history alone and, and just, you know, how many copies and how many years back, we can trust the Bible, right? Because it is more foolproof, and not just us. You can ask many people, you know, don't just ask your skeptic atheist friends. Uh, ask real academicians, uh, and they will tell you that, yeah, the, the Bible is a, a, a modern-day good example of preserved history. You know, both the old and the new, and especially the old and the new coming together. And trust me in this, because if it was not so, uh, there are a lot of haters out there, and they would have shot the Bible to pieces even before you were born. Uh, how many were born in the year 2000? Yeah, exactly, right? And so, uh, <laughs> I know, the whole room just winced. Now, moving on because of time. We can talk more about history later. You can do your own research. You can talk to your own history professor even about it. You can go join a degree about it. Let's talk about the honesty of the Bible. The honesty. Now, for the sake of time, I might not be able to read the whole chapter, but if you have a Bible, I want to point to you uh, a beautiful summary of the Bible or people in the Bible, and it's found in the book of Hebrews, that's in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11. When you have time, go back and read the whole of Hebrews 11, and basically it is a condensed version of the different people that God had used um, over the Old Testament. So Hebrews 11 is basically like a condensed version um, you know, like how we watch Star Wars and there's a scroll that says, you know, what happened in the last episode. Uh, Hebrews 11 was basically a scroll uh, that covered the whole of Old Testament. And so, of course, it starts with Cain and Abel. Uh, it started with, of course, creation and Cain and Abel. And then it goes on to talk about Noah and Enoch and Abraham uh, and uh, it went on to talk about Isaac, and, which is Abraham's son, and how he had Jacob and Esau, uh, and how Jacob, you know, uh, went and did his thing. And you had Moses and how he was born and the different things that happened. Uh, and then you also have, you know, Joshua and how they crossed the Red Sea and how Jericho fell. And all these people, and you can read on all the way, right? And then in verse 32, it talks about people like Samson, like David, 
uh, different people, not just their, their great things, but these are also people that you can go to the Old Testament and they have their own dedicated books about it. You can find out everything that David did from Samuel to King, Solomon, it's all there. Uh, Genesis talks about, you know, Abraham's entire family from Abraham all the way to Joseph. Exodus talks about Moses' growing up, his upbringing, his, his failings, his, his successes and all that. And that's why I want to talk about honesty. The Bible is really honest. Many times people doubt the Bible because it feels like a propaganda. In fact, many religious texts feel like a propaganda. Um, but the Bible is set apart from every other religious text because of its honesty. You will never find such honesty. We know Abraham, but we also know not just of his faith, but also his lack of faith. And it's clearly written in the Bible that he believed in God, but he also didn't believe enough that God would do. And so he tried to maneuver himself into the God prophecy and, and then he had an extramarital affair, even though with the wife's blessing, it was a complicated time. And they created an a, a, a heir called Esau, uh, which then became the descendants of the uh, Arabic people, which still exists until today. And uh, in the Bible, the, 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 the kind of like the, um, uh, there was a prophecy about how this two lineages, these two houses will be at longer heads, uh, which is the house of Isaac and the house of Esau. And until today, sorry, what's that? Uh, Ishmael. Uh, uh, Ishmael is, uh, sorry, Esau is Jacob. Uh, Ishmael, sorry, pardon me. Uh, Ishmael is the, the illegitimate son, but he's the descendant of the Arab. And how, if you look at modern day Middle Eastern politics and, and real life events, you can see there's a tension between the Islamic world and the nation of Israel. Uh, but it also talks about how that thing came about. If you talk about Moses, he wasn't just a wise man, known the cut. Now, I'm not sure how the cartoons uh, cut it, it over, uh, but in the Bible, it says that he survived, but he tried to start a revolution, but he failed. Uh, he thought that, man, I'm gonna, no, I'm going to start by killing the slave drivers, and he killed, and he was found out, and he was so ashamed that he ran and he hid, and God had to use him. And in other words, God used a fugitive wanted for murder. Think about the honesty of that, right? Uh, the Bible talks about Jacob, um, you know, and he is known for all his things. In fact, the word for Jacob is not hidden. Jacob in Hebrew means deceiver. So it wasn't the coloring over. Of course, later on, God gave him a different name called Israel, but it was still Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. In fact, God identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though Israel is his new name. But God says that, I still remember your past. And in other words, it's a beautiful picture of God saying that I, am, I know your past, but I still came near. Um, you can talk about other things like, um, you know, we talk about Moses. Uh, and, uh, you know, in, we talk about David, but it's also written there of David's, um, not just his battles, but also his adultery. And not only did he commit adultery, he plotted to have the person's husband killed to protect the pregnancy. I know you've been thinking, what is this Game of Thrones stuff? No, it's called the Bible. You know, it's, it's all, I know, saucy and dramatic. It's like, you know, betrayal, sex and lies. It's the Bible. And that's why it can be trusted because it's not propaganda. It's not written to make one particular person look good. Due to the sensitivity of, I won't say it under recording, but that you know, there are things out there that you cannot see a bad side of a particular founder. Uh, it's always that person's brilliant, born from a royal family, you know, he can do whatever and all this. Never one moment of weakness. But the Bible is about the history of flawed people. 
yet the God who came near. And it speaks of the honesty that, you know, you can trust that, wow, because the Bible didn't just cancel and delete and censor out the uncomfortable parts, it must be true. Let me give you this, okay? Hebrews 11, verse 31. Go back and search it. Even talks about Rahab the prostitute. The Bible is so brutally honest. Thousands of years later, Rahab is still known for her profession. Not because the Bible is punishing, but because of its ethics to keep to honesty and truth. And this all points to the, the lineage of Jesus and how, you know, so if, even all the uncomfortable bits and bobs. If Jesus wanted to create His own religion, He would have put only the most glorious bits of His life and His lineage. But He came from a lineage, well, not Him, but His man's side came because Jesus, and again, in a few weeks' time, you'll learn that He's 100% God, 100% man. But here we're talking about the Bible. It can be accepted because it's so honest. It's so honest about His portrayal of people. It's so honest about the things that they did, about not just their success, but their failings. And because of His honesty, it can be trusted. No, it's not propaganda. You know, it's not like, you know, wow, only, you know, God and all of the people are perfect. They never fail. Uh, and that's in the books of, of many other faiths out there, but that's not in the Bible. And due to time, point number three, the humanity. The humanity of the Bible. So unlike other books of faith out there, the Bible is centered in humanity. Um, some faiths, they have entire texts talking about their gods and their gods only. Their gods and their gods' exploits. Uh, there are certain faiths that come across more of philosophy, how to do certain things to erase your past, to get to happiness, to get to, you know, a, 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 a true freedom and true escape. Now, of course, there are some that just talk about, you know, the the point of view of just one person uh, and what that one person did. Uh, the Bible talks about many people. The Bible talks about generations. But the one consistent thing is that it doesn't just talk about God, it talks about God and people. It addresses the truth that we are not alone. It addresses the real issue that the problem with the world is not with the God or the gods, it's not with the planet, it's with humanity the brokenness of humanity. And, and this is a truth. The, the humanness of the Bible is accuracy in attacking and highlighting humanity in its best and in its worst. Uh, is why it is the book for us. Because it doesn't dodge the topic. It addresses the topic. Everything that we like about the world today, you can also name one weakness and that weakness is always human beings. Is democracy good? On paper, yes. But if you follow Malaysian news, you'll realize what's the problem? Humanity. Human greed. And we'll stop there. <laughs> we talk about wealth and how certain things work, whether you uh, believe in capitalism or communism. And both would say that our philosophy and our economics is sound, and maybe to a certain extent. I think communism in its purest form has the potential to succeed, so does capitalism in its purest form. But here we are talking about in its purest form. What makes it unpure? The very people who figured it out in the first place. Humanity. Because again of human greed. 
How do you solve the world today? Let's get rid of wars. But why are wars started? Because of weapons? No. Because of guns? No. Guns is a neutral thing. It can be used to protect. It can also be used to attack. What's the thing that messes it up? Humanity. And so, Christianity is not shy uh, to uh, go straight and say that it's humanity. Humanity has great potential. Unfortunately, humanity has also great flaws. And we have a God who sees our flaws and comes near. We have a God who addresses our flaws. And so much of the Bible uh, is an attempt to rehabilitate humanity. And a lot of things that we actually love about humanity, human civilization today, has its roots in the Bible. Let me ask you this. Is having a, a constitution a good thing? In its purest form, if people obey by it, it's a good thing. But of course, certain countries, you ban, you have a constitution, you don't believe in it, you don't do it, but never mind. Let's not talk about Malaysian politics right now. But the constitution basically is the idea that there is a law that is higher than any king or any one person, any government. Do you know who invented such a concept? It's this thing called the Ten Commandments. Until the Ten Commandments arrived, every civilization and their kings and their pharaohs and their lords were the final authority of that place. And that's why when you read in Genesis, when Abraham was going into even ancient Egypt, he was saying that, uh, Wifey, uh, can you say I'm your bro? <laughs> because if I walk in, <laughs> if I'm your bro, they might give me a lot of treasure so that I, I you know, I can, you know, try to fix something. But if I go in and say that I'm your hubby, they're going to kill me. <laughs> because that was the way of the land. And what the king wanted, the king got. But the Ten Commandments came about and says that no matter if you're king or queen or peasant, whether you're somebody or nobody, these are the ten laws set by God that nobody can cross. It doesn't matter if you're a king. If you cross one of it, you're a sinner. And out of that, uh, brought so much law and order and justice to the ancient world, ancient world that today you see civilizations having laws and stuff like that. Uh, isn't it interesting that civilizations can be worlds apart, yet every civilization agrees that killing is bad, stealing is wrong? Where did that come from? The Bible. And, and so, not only is the Bible historical, not only is the Bible honest, but the Bible is about humanity and helping humanity. Um, you know, because there are a lot of books out there that talks about God, but that doesn't solve the human problem. There are a lot of books that talks about doing good, but how can you do good when your very motivation to do good is selfish? And if a selfish good, is that still good? Did I just blow your mind with that? Just, just think about that. Right? Because if you're doing good to get good, then that good is selfish and self-seeking and therefore it can't be good. But the Bible talks about humanity born good, made bad decisions, and God tried to rehabilitate the human heart with His laws and His orders, but eventually He had to come to Jesus who came to not only teach us how to do good and be good, but also died for us. And in that dying, paid the price for all we're doing wrong. Because if you believe in a God, you also want to believe that that God is fair, not just fair, but He's a God of justice. If a God just forgives your wrong, 
then that's not fair to the many people that have been hurt by that wrong. And so for a wrong to be made good, that wrong needs to be paid. Does it make sense? And so Jesus, in all the faiths, is the only one that addresses the issue of sin and talks about how to pay that sin. And humanity, Jesus came also in human form uh, because humanity was created in God's image. What we have is not lesser. There are some faiths that says that everything in the physical is to be done away with. What is more powerful is the spiritual, but God celebrates both the spirit and the flesh. And it helps us to be the best, not just in this world, but in eternity with Him. Yeah? And so, due to time, uh, uh, I hope that this has given us a lot of food for thought uh, on why the Bible can be trusted for the very fact that it talks about the stuff that needs to be talked about. It talks about it with honesty and with historical accuracy. So the question now is, what happens next? If the Bible can be trusted, it's no longer an option. If the Bible can be trusted, it means that what it says is truth because truth can be trusted. And when we are faced with truth, and we all know truth hurts, but even though truth hurts, when we're faced with truth, there are really two options. We can either deny the truth or we can accept the truth and allow that truth to change us, right? Nobody likes to hear the truth. Uh, but the Bible, like Jesus says, is like a mirror. And uh, the mirror tells the truth all the time, whether you like it or not. If you ate a lot, you stand in front of a mirror, it doesn't care about your feelings, it tells you the truth, <laughs> right? And so that's the Word of God. It doesn't care about your feelings, but it tells you the truth. Question is, Will you accept this truth and allow this truth to come in? Now that hopefully this has overcome some mental hiccups about, oh, this is, a, this is a product of man. No, no product of man will be so honest. Oh, this is just some, no, fantasy, make-believe. No, no, no. It, it talks about the human heart and addresses the heart of the human problem. Oh, it's, it's made by man. No, there's no printing back then. You know, how do you know that they will tell the truth? Well, there's so many copies. And people made an effort. And there were many copies. And are there inaccuracies in some of the copies? Yes. But when you have many copies, it's easier for you to put together the original thing. Does it make sense? And so that's why the many copies help. So again, if the Bible can be trusted, will you trust it? If you've been touched by today's message and would like to invite Jesus into your life, why don't you join me in saying this prayer? Lord Jesus, Thank you for paying the ultimate price for my sins by dying on the cross for me. I receive your love and forgiveness and eternal life by faith. Come into my heart and life and be my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you've been blessed by today's message. For more information about Acts, you can check out www.actschurch.uk. God bless.